Good evening, everybody. My name is Greg Harrell. And I just want to thank each and every one of you to, for coming out this evening to really celebrate the life, a, a life well lived, the life of Debbie Tran. Everybody that came in contact with Debbie had a Debbie Tran story. There's no doubt about it. You couldn't, you couldn't meet her for more than three or four minutes without having a, a story or a testimony. And that presented a challenge for what we are going to do here tonight for all of us because we all want to get up and talk about what Debbie meant to us. But instead, what we want to do is we want to take an opportunity to really bless her family back in Vietnam. And to that end, what we've done is we've got some specific paper back there on that table in the corner. And what we'd like for you to do is take a sheet of this paper and over the course of the next, if you want to do it tonight, that's great. If you've got time to do it, great. Uh, but over the course of the next seven days, you can go ahead and write your Debbie Tran story. We want to use this specific paper because what we're going to do is we're going to take those stories, we're going to use the same paper, we're going to translate those stories into Vietnamese, and then we're going to bind this paper into a book, and we're going to send it to her family in Vietnam. Isn't that cool? So that's what we want to do uh, in terms of each of us as individuals rem remembering Debbie. Um, I just want to, before I go forward, I want to thank uh, Mark and Cleo. Thank you so much for allowing us to use this beautiful facility tonight. Thank you. Yeah. Give it up. So I'm going to pull out my phone here for two reasons, okay? The first reason for me to pull out my phone is to remind each and every one of you to go ahead and put your phone on silent, please. Okay. This is my wife, Marietta. Hello, good evening. At the end of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has a really kind of an interesting encounter. I always marvel at the encounter. What happens is that Jesus' mother and his brothers come to where Jesus is teaching and somebody goes and tells Jesus, hey, your mom and your brothers are here. And he looks around the room and he says, hey, who are my mother and my brothers? And he answers his own question as Jesus was wont to do. And he says, these that do the will of my father in heaven, these are my sister and my brother and my mother. So what I want to do here, if, with your permission, is I'm going to take a video from here because you guys all, because of what I just said, the kingdom of God at work, I'm going to take a video and send it to your new brother. His name is Paul Tran, and he is in Vietnam. He is Debbie's brother, and he wants to see this. Is that okay? So everybody wave hi to Paul and the Tran family. Hallelujah. Hi, Paul. The, Paul, these are the people that loved your sister here in Granbury, right here. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. So I'm going to send that to Paul a little bit later on this evening so that he can have a record of...
and see really just how many people love Debbie in this area. So without further ado, I'm going to have uh, Mike McMahon, Pastor Mike McMahon, come up here and open us up in a word of prayer. I'm glad to see you all. Thank you for being here. You know, what you are at right now is kind of a coupling because that which had started and took a detour is now going to pick up from the other side and move forward. You all have been given the information that you need. The rest of it is in scripture and you need to know where that is. You have the courage, you have the wisdom, you have the strength, and you have the desire. What you need to do is get up and get after it. Time's a wasting, folks. This country is in trouble. You and I are going to be the ones, and those others like us are going to be the ones who pull this country out of the trouble. Because God will use you if you are willing. My wife told me not to preach. I got to find a place where I can go sit down and pray, I guess. So. so let's pray with me, please. Father, thank you for sending Debbie Tran to us. We've humbled ourselves in prayer. We've sought your face, spoken your word, and repented from our wickedness. We know it isn't you who causes the events taking place in our country today. And we also know you will not punish America. If anything, we've been pushing you away and ignoring your freedom. Actually, what we're reaping is what we have sown in telling you we want control of a secular nation. We're living as we are today because this is what happens to a nation in the absence of God and his control. So, Father, we give back the control of our hearts and lives right now. And thank you for allowing us to enjoy being your kids. You sent Debbie Tran to us to minister to this nation. You sent her to other countries telling preachers and others to pray for America because she understood that as America goes, so goes the world. Now, she got stuck in Texas, which was her good fortune, Father. And that was because Vietnam closed its borders. But you knew what was going on and you had her here to minister to our great state. Since as Texas goes, so goes America. You especially blessed us here in our area and when we got to see she was led by your spirit and she was powerful. She might've been little, but she wasn't small. Thank you for sharing her wisdom, her insight, her boldness, her courage, and her trust in you. So, Father, we thank you now for the wisdom, the insight, the boldness, the courage, and trust that is ours to use to bring about your success in our spheres of influence around the world. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And if, if I may, Greg, one more. About 20 years ago, we were down in the square around the gazebo. And Greg and, and uh, uh, 
Mary, Marietta, I'll get it. Don't, don't push me. I'm all right. They were down ministering to the kids. And we were ministering just to the people by walking around the square praying. And we were in an office building sometimes down there that we prayed. But God gave me a word. And what it was this. He said, I am sending eagles into Granbury and into Hood County where there will be a beginning and a growth of my word. Folks, I don't know how many of you are here who've been here less than 20 years, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of you, when you first came here, you were saying, you know, I don't know why we're here, but we just need to move here. This is where we're supposed to be. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for honoring our dear sister. She was precious. She was. But I want to tell you something else. She was strong. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. What we want to do now is we really want to spend some time in, in worship. Worship was one of Debbie's absolute, positively favorite things. And just to give you some insight uh, in regards to Debbie, at, at the end, Debbie was a tough woman. She was tough. And um, towards the end of, of her battle, and it was valiantly fought battle, there were a lot of times where we would literally spend hours and hours and hours with Debbie just worshiping. And that would be the way that she would seek out pain relief. So it's something that was dear to her heart. It's something that really was integral to her life. No doubt about it. And it's a, it should be integral to a, uh, all of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. So let's worship with Katie and Brady. Let's make sure that while we're worshiping, let's literally press in and, and face the Holy Spirit and allow him to come in so that he can do what he wants to do here tonight in each and every one of our hearts. How about that? In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me When I am alone 
Your mercy never fails 
celebrate Debbie's life with hope. Lord, we can be expectant that her life on earth may be finished, but her legacy lives on and what you started in her. Lord, may we just carry that fire. Lord, thank you that the grave is not the end. I just invite you to just use this song as a celebration. Her life, even though on earth seemed very short and fleeting, we can celebrate it. The Lord does wonderful, beautiful things. He turns graves into gardens. I just invite you to declare this over this city, over our lives. 
this last song we just wanted to focus on that even in this moment when there's sadness, we have hope and we can say it is well. So I just encourage you to just worship and just let the lyrics really touch your spirit.
You can go ahead and be seated. Just wanted to take a few seconds to just kind of sit, steep in that, right? Hallelujah. Katie, Brady, thank you so much. Literally leading us into the presence of the Lord. The scriptures are actually really clear about one thing. When I look at the scriptures, I always amazed that there's very few places in the entire word of the Lord that says anything about honoring men. Only a couple of places. Because why? Because we're supposed to give our honor to God Almighty, right? He's the one that deserves it. However, there is one place in Romans 13 that says that we give honor where honor is due. Honor where honor is due. So I want you guys to just take some time. We're going to take about seven minutes of your time here. Um, we were able to get some photos off of Debbie's phone, and I think you'll really, I think it'll really help all of us in this room to better understand really who Debbie was. Lord, I confess that I've been a criminal. I've stolen your bread and sang my own song. And Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. Shackles I wear Oh, I bought on my own The scarlet sins Had a crimson cost You nailed my death To that old rugged cross An empty slate at the empty grave Thank God that stone was rolled away Oh, I confess I've been the prodigal Made for your house But it walked my own Yeah. 
And I can see it now Smiling in heaven You and I, you and I And I see bright crimson rows Draped over the ashes A wide open tomb Where there should be caskets Children are singing and dancing and laughing The Father is welcoming This is our homecoming Roses in bloom Pushed up from the embers Rivers of tears flow from good times remembered Sky! 
those last two photos or the, the ones close to the end were <clears throat> taken in front of Debbie's father's church <clears throat> in Danang. So, Paul, your new brother, was kind enough to send those to me last night. So, when Debbie um, went to be with Jesus, the, the following day, Marietta and I ha had to make a kind of an emergency trip to Kansas City to take care of some of the business that uh, was left undone and to gather up some of her things that were there. <clears throat> and uh, so we did that, and on the way home, of course, at this point, we're, we're doing what all of you are doing, and that's, well, what happened and what now? Um, <clears throat> I had an opportunity to call Harvey, and Harvey said something to me that just resonated. He said, Greg, Debbie was the most private public persona that you will ever meet. And I knew right then that what we needed to do to celebrate Debbie's life is we needed to arrange for those people that were closest to her that knew Debbie well before any of us did here in Texas to come and kind of complete the Debbie story and to move us along because that's what Debbie would have wanted to, for us to do. Amen? So that's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to introduce Harvey and Deborah Whitmire. They were Debbie's spiritual parents. And how long did you guys know Debbie? For 17 years, they saw Debbie develop in a way that we could only dream about knowing. But before I bring them up, I want to read a couple of verses from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. This is Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, writing to his charge, Timothy. And he says this, nevertheless, now, that word is important here because what he is saying is, regardless of the circumstances, here we go. Nevertheless, listen to this, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Check this out. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. What Harvey and Deborah are going to bring to us, they're going to tell us about Debbie's sanctification and they're going to encourage us to move from that place of we want to be vessels of honor, don't we? Don't we? Let's let's hear about it. Deborah, Harvey. This is Deborah and Harvey Whitmire. They came to join us from Highlands Ranch, Colorado, and they've got a word for us. Welcome, guys.
I thought I was pretty well composed tonight. Um, but then worship started. But then worship started. We're going to call uh, that worship team back up here um, a little later. I can feel that right now. Um, I was going to start, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, while you are working on that, um, you know, we're going to have, we have a lot to say. We've walked with Debbie for 17 plus years. But you could put it all in one sentence, and that is to know Debbie was to get to watch her have a relationship with her Lord. Yes. I mean, that last, right there. That's it. That's it right there. And her relationship with Jesus was such that the minute you recognized what was going on, it's like, I want that. I want that. I want that. And that's, in it all, that's why when we came to worship, it's like, then you just come undone because no matter what we walked through with her, it was always seeing her. That's right walk with him it was like seeing her reach for him seeing her be held by him it was a it was an intimate thing it was a powerful thing and it was a contagious thing it was like oh my oh and so, one of the things that uh, you may not know is she was actually a third-generation Christian. Her grandmothers on both sides of the family were first-generation Christians. And who do you think influenced her grandmothers? American missionaries. Hallelujah. They sowed the seed that you have seen in Granbury. They sowed the seed that became Debbie Tran. And along Debbie Tran's journey, there were people like us, people like you, who did things to help her, to mentor her, to uh, coach her in times when she, she was almost uncoachable, actually, but she was uh, <laughs> to coach her in certain things. And we have to always have a, a, a perspective that says when somebody gets up and has a powerful ministry, that is not the way they started. There was seed that went forth before she was ever born. Before she was ever born. And her parents were, were uh, well, they became pastors, but they were extremely poor. Poor, 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 poor. And they lived on the... Uh, the South China Sea on the coast. If any of you are old enough to be Vietnam vets, 
or from that era of Vietnam. You remember a place called Cameron Bay? It was kind of a touristy place. Uh, their home was uh, several kilometers to the north of Cameron Bay. And uh, it was on the coast. It was a tourist area. And it was in that venue that she grew up. Uh, and she took on the leadership of the making provision for the family. But, now, um, if you can think of that, just little girl, right? Oh, well, by the time she was nine years old, she was significantly contributing to the provision for the family. Nine years old. Yeah. Yeah. Nine years old. And so she grew up in this place. And so when we think of that, we say, well, what was it that was so... Was she just hardwired to become the Debbie Tran of today? There were some things that came out of her early childhood or her teenage years that perhaps were a brief picture of some of what I call the internal hardwiring that each of us have to some extent that gave her the boldness and then with the Holy Spirit, the confidence and the sharpness of the two-edged sword. Now, you have that story about when she was had the yeah, problem with these 14. people taking territory yeah, from her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell well, me that. Well, part of how they earned um, their money at the time, even though her father was pastoring full-time, there was not uh, enough money to provide for the family from that, and so they would sell things in the tourist area, they would have these little uh, plots of, of land that would be like, you know, like if you go to a flea market, every vendor has a certain amount of space that's theirs. Well, it's the same thing for that kind of thing. And <clears throat> every, they would have to tear down every night and set up every morning. And every morning, she would see that the people next to her, they, their territory would expand every day. And Debbie's parents' territory would get smaller every day. Every day, these people would have a bigger setup. And they were crowding Debbie's parents out. And her parents were extremely... Uh, kind and gentle and would never, never hurt a flea. Debbie had all the same boldness that you know goes with Debbie and it was not yet tamed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? She's 14 years old and one day she'd had enough. She had had enough. She picks up one of the daggers that is part of the tourist industry, picks it up, goes to the guy next door, puts the point of the dagger right there. Says, you move that boundary line one more time and I will kill you. <laughs> now, we laugh she didn't. She meant it because she was not yet tamed by the Holy Ghost. But she had that same fierceness, 
that same passion, that same thing that says we're going forward, we're not going back, we are, and you will not have our inheritance. See? And they believed her. <laughs> and the next day when they set up their plot, it was way over here where it belongs. <laughs> and suddenly, her parents' plot was like twice as big as the day before. But you see how even at such a young age, she was the one, she was the edge of the sword. She was, she was the point of the arrow. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So... <laughs> And then as her relationship with the Lord matured and as the Holy Spirit began to uh, take all of that, that fierceness and that boldness and that um, just that passion to have what is needed and to move forward with it, then when people would um, wrong her, and she experienced persecution on almost every different front that you can yeah. over the course of her short life. And yet she never became a victim. Never, 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 never was this woman a victim. She, see, she would forgive. I was going to add something there, too. You know, a lot of people are victims of something. She was a victim of something, but she did not live in victimhood. There's a neighborhood called victimhood, and sometimes as victims, we can embrace that, and then we look for other victims, and we create this neighborhood called victimhood. Debbie Tran refused to do that. She could have, but she did not. Because that would have taken her into a different direction that would have never landed her in Granbury. She came into alignment with what God was doing in her life. Now, when she was uh, doing a lot of ministry, before she started to emerge publicly, as, as we know her, she took a lot of Bibles, children's literatures, and things like that over into Cambodia, into Laos. Laos is a very uh, dangerous, very primitive country. If any Vietnam vets did any, uh, let's say, recon near Laos or Cambodia, you, I think you know what I'm talking about. Even today, Laos is a very um, deprivated uh, nation. But she would take books and tracts, children's literature, Bibles in her backpack, and she'd pray. And it got to the point, once cell phones became very commonly used, some of the communist government would try to track her. They'd try to catch her in her act. And they had different ways they were trying to uh, uh, go after her to prove that she was doing something illegal, which was all illegal, by the way. I could preach on that one for a long time tonight about things that are illegal that in the kingdom of God we cannot obey. Amen? So Debbie Tran had this warrior spirit that was emerging more and more and I believe she 
It was such a time as this that we're living in today in America that she imparted to you a dimension of that same warrior spirit, a spirit of confrontation. You can only be nice so far, amen? I said you can only be nice so far, amen? Okay. And so that was a part of her history that brought her to the point of where she is. Now, she was, she was primarily a gatekeeper and an interpreter for many, many Western preachers that would come in, mostly all men. Canada, British, Australian, Americans would come in. And in Ho Chi Minh City, which we used to know as Saigon, uh, people knew that she was very fluent in English because she got a college degree in English. So she was one of the few people that really knew English well. Remember, after the Americans left Vietnam in 1975, there was a purge of anybody that was allied with the American cause or the capitalist cause or the cause of freedom. They're either killed or re-educated. And so there was a purge on a Western perspective and things like English. But Debbie got her college degree in English. And so now she became even though this was not her heart's desire, she became an interpreter for the ministers that started to come in, especially after 1996 when Vietnam opened up. They were closed for 20 years, or almost closed after the, the war we had there. And so she became an interpreter. They latched onto her in a, in a good way, and she would interpret people's messages. She would interpret and, I should say, translate books. And that was the primary way most Westerners, Western people in ministry, knew and viewed Debbie Tran, including the first time you met her. Oh, yeah. Well, the first several years that I worked with her, she was my interpreter. And frankly, she wasn't that great of an interpreter. No. And the reason you would think she would be awesome, but... Her English was flawless. Her vocabulary was amazing. There was nothing that she couldn't translate, but she was so self-effacing, self-erasing, that it was like I would be preaching and I would really get into it, and I would just be wound up. I would be just and Debbie would translate it like this. And I would just look at her like really? Seriously? That's what you heard? Because she was so self-effacing, she didn't want to call any attention to herself whatsoever. So everything I said, she said perfectly. But it was being delivered like the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And as she, oh wow, as the Lord began to do his work in her. Oh, my. 
it's like I would see leaps and bounds difference when I would come the following year and she would interpret and it would be like, oh, all right. And it was, she would, she was coming out of that, I am no one and this, this is the minister over here. Because you see, <laughs> there's nothing scriptural about that. It's not that the ministers are up here and everybody else is out there. No, no, no. If you will let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do in your life, you will, <laughs> you will know fulfillment like you have never understood fulfillment. And it doesn't matter if you're up here or if you're down there. But it has to be the Holy Spirit taking you into who you really are. Because if you don't let him take you into who you really are, then you're just going to be like the interpreter that just Eh, what is that? Oh, can you imagine the Debbie that you know? The Debbie that you know? Can you even imagine that's the same person that I'm talking about? It's, it's hard to believe. But she never, in the entire 17 years I knew her, I never heard her put the Holy Spirit on hold. You know, like, yeah, I'll do that as soon as I get done with, as soon as I get done with my degree, or as soon as I get done with this, or as soon as we, then we'll do, uh-uh, no. The moment that she heard from him, that was it. Then everything else was, was behind her. Whatever she had to change or rearrange in her life, because she had just heard from the Holy Spirit, she changed it instantly, just instantly. Her, that's the other thing that you fell in love with about Debbie, that you might not realize that's why you fell in love with her, is who you knew was the culmination of a lifetime of responding to Holy Spirit. And that's how we become <laughs> like the Velveteen Rabbit. That's how we become real. And Debbie was the realest person she I was. think I've ever known. She was. And so she, uh, you may know she organized a lot of underground church leaders. It was called the Champions Network. And uh, they were all underground. She had no respect for the registered church in Vietnam. Why? Because they had to compromise their message, compromise how they expressed Christianity and worship and a biblical worldview if they were registered. And so Debbie Tran was not a big compromiser. No, 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 no. You know that. But she organized this network of pastors, and so Deborah ministered to this network several times. And... Uh, <clears throat> In that, I'll tell you a story that really 
really hits home about how you receive a person and how you see them. How you see them may limit who they really are. Okay? There's a Canadian pastor, and it wasn't a pastor, a Canadian itinerant minister that was going to Vietnam. This was uh, probably uh, 2009, 10, 11, somewhere in there. And he was going very, very frequently. And he found that Debbie, uh, about Debbie Tran, and he became, he asked her to do all of his interpretation for his messages. And so he was gathering pastors. He was basically getting them to go through some reconciliation between tribal groups, uh, between themselves and Chinese, because the Vietnamese cannot stand the Chinese. Did you know that? Vietnamese can't stand the Chinese. In fact, Debbie, it only was, what, two years ago? She had to repent of her own dislike for Chinese. <laughs> because, and that's not dissing Chinese. That's just a, you know, the Chinese had so dominated the Vietnam, the Viet people for so long. So she became his interpreter. He's a big, tall guy, about six, three, six, four. So he was organizing his pastors. He'd get Debbie, you know, and <clears throat> they'd have these meetings and they discern whether or not the watchers were going to come or not. Many times they had to shut the meetings down because their, their intel found out that uh, the government was going to raid the meeting. Anyway, it was a very exciting time. And this guy went, he told me about 16, 17 times over there with Debbie Tran. And uh, <clears throat> she was a great interpreter for him, did what he had asked her to do, interpreted but see, he never, he engaged with Debbie the interpreter and never saw the Deborah of Vietnam. Because when she was baptized as a baby, it was prophesied that she would be the Deborah of Vietnam. But see, you have to see it. When I say see it with your spiritual eyes, you have to, you have, to have a heart to perceive something other than a role a person is in. The role does not define who they are in Christ. It does not define their calling. And so this, this, this guy right here, I had, a, well, I had a meeting with him. We were in Japan, I think. And he was really being quite, uh, what's the right word? He was really diminishing her and who she was. And pastors of this pastoral group had told him, they said, we see... You know, Debbie is just an interpreter. This is the people she organized. Debbie's just an interpreter. She's not a leader, they said. She's not a leader, they said. And this guy, he, he, he thought the same thing. He liked her, good interpreter. I'm going to use her as an interpreter. Never once did he perceive what God had called her to or gifted on the inside of her. So Debbie passes into eternity on December 4th. We are trying to figure out how to contact a lot of people that we didn't have contacts with. And I had had a meeting with this guy in Japan. Uh, this was in 2015, I think it was. And uh, he was trying to cajole Debbie to do something. And I basically... Uh, well, I just was not very pastoral <clears throat> at all. But he understood what but he I was, was saying. He was very fatherly. Yes, I was very fatherly. 
And so he, this guy pulled back. He, did, he didn't go back to Vietnam after that. And uh, fast forward, Debbie passes away on December 4th. We're trying to figure out how to contact all these people, the people in Nepal, people in Vietnam, people in Jordan, people in Singapore, people in Japan, people in South Korea. How do you contact them? iPhone was locked at that time. iPad was locked. Nobody had the code. And we only, see, we only know a, a small segment of the people that she's connected to because we've ministered in some of those nations. But we, there's pockets all over the world, especially over the last six or seven years that have just emerged with a remnant rising perspective because of her ministry. So I post this thing on Facebook about four days after she had passed, thinking the key people know, so this is not going to be a surprise. Post it on Facebook. And I, I couldn't connect to one group, a group that had organized an apostolic gathering in, in Asia. It was led by a, a, an apostle in Canada by the name of David Damien. And I had no connections with him anymore. And, uh, but I know one guy in Singapore, his name is Vincent. He had come to us uh, and, and actually ministered with us here in America for a while. I contacted Vincent and said, Vincent, let your people know that in your sphere that Debbie has passed into eternity. She's gone to heaven. He said, well, I will. Well, then he starts contacting people, and this guy in Canada finds out by way of, of Vincent. And so he sends me a text, says, can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? I said, well, sure. And so we talked on a, on a, about five days later after she had passed. He had read my post on Facebook. In my post, it says she was an apostolic voice to the nations of South Korea, Vietnam, America, Japan, and especially Nepal and America. And I use that word apostolic voice. He said, I, what are you talking about? Are you talking about Debbie Tran? I said, this is Debbie Tran the one who interpreted for you. He says, well, I didn't know she was doing apostolic ministry. I said, no, she started doing it after, after you. I said, and I didn't diminish him. We had a good conversation. But the, the point of that was he was shocked that she was doing ministry. I told her about the revival and the, and the remnant rising in Granbury. And he was like, What? She's doing that because he could never see the Deborah of Vietnam. People, and I say this especially to pastors and ministry leaders that are in your sphere of influence. Be careful that your vision of them is not limited to the role they're in. Husbands, be careful that the vision of your wife is not limited to the fact that she's your wife. Are you hearing me? Because it will limit in certain spheres that person rising up into the fullness of their calling, what God has called them to do and what God has called them to be. And so this man, I was very shocked, and uh, he could not believe that Debbie Tran was doing apostolic work and was a catalyst for revival. He couldn't believe what was happening here in Granbury. Are you guys, it did happen in Granbury, right? Hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah. So 
There is a transformation that happened in Debbie Tran over a period of years. And it can happen in everybody in here as well, to whatever you're called to do and to be. And there's a message in that, I think, yeah. that's very key. Yeah, it's like not only <laughs> did she tell you the truth, not only did she put the call out to you to respond to the truth, but she was a living epistle of what she was teaching. Yeah. She had experienced herself this going from I am nobody to I will respond to the Holy Spirit. And right before COVID hit, she was traveling so much to so many nations of the world that literally there were times that she would pack two suitcases, one to leave, one to take with her to go on her ministry trip. When she would come back from that ministry trip, she would come from the airport to her house, her apartment, drop off the suitcase filled with dirty clothes, grab the other one that she had already packed, and be off the same day to a different nation. Her life was not easy, but it was the most fulfilling, the richest. She, you know, many people question, well, she was only 45. How, what, why, why so soon? It's like anybody who knew her knew that she lived harder, she lived bolder, she lived stronger, she lived larger, she lived more in those 45 years than most people do in twice or three times that. She, her transformation, God testifies to it. When she prayed, Lord Jesus, either heal me or take me home. And I'm going to live in this pain. He came. And he embraced her and he took her. And his testimony in doing that is, the transformation is complete, and you have demonstrated what I've asked you to demonstrate. So in Debbie's home nation, very few embraced her for who she was in God's eyes. And the scripture that came to mind as I was just jotting down this bullet point was from Matthew 13, verse 56, 58. This is in reference to uh, Jesus, because people were looking at Jesus, and they knew where he was from, and they were from his hometown, and they said, and his sisters, aren't they all with us? I mean, so where does he get all these things? And they took offense at him, but Yeshua said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own house. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. 
How you receive the gift God sends is depends upon what will release the mighty works if they are there or resist the mighty works that should be released. Are you hearing me? Hallelujah. And you, you people, <laughs> you people, <laughs> you people, you, oh, you should be so encouraged at what he just said. Because I will tell you, um, I have ministered in many, many nations all over the world. And one of the things that the Lord said to me is how they receive you and the message you bring from me determines whether or not I will send you back. He said, if they do not receive you and the message that I send you with, then I will not send them, send you again and again and again to that place. And I have seen over the course of the last 20 plus years how that is true. And it was, who of you said it? Was, I, I might have been Pastor Mike when, when he said, and somehow she got stuck in Texas. That was no accident. That's no accident that she got stuck in Texas. Oh, it's because of the reception of who she was and is in Christ. Yes. And the message that she brought is why that she could be here and not get pulled out of here just to go pick up another suitcase and go somewhere else. Because you two, you and her, you two had a destiny together. Hallelujah. And just because her demonstration is complete and she went there, yours isn't. Yours isn't. So you got stuff to do. Right? Amen. Amen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Until your demonstration is complete, you got stuff to do. Okay. All right. Now, the scripture says that if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you get the prophet's what? Reward. That is a principle. It's a principle. It's not just confined to the gift of prophet or the office of prophet. And so... You can have the office that Debbie Tran walked in, which was a combination of the prophetic, but certainly apostolic and aspect of revivalist that she walked in. And you received her as that, and so you received the gift that came with it. Okay? There were other places she went. Same gift, same anointing, nothing. Because they could not see it, they could not receive it. So they didn't get the reward of who God had called her to be. So in this celebration of the life of Debbie Tran, we can't help but celebrate Granberry. We're celebrating her, but we're celebrating you guys. Because it's like, it's just exactly like David, King David. It's like the Lord saw a shepherd boy. All the people saw a shepherd boy, but in that shepherd boy, the Lord saw the king. Yeah. 
And so it's, it's all in the most powerful message she ever preached at our church. She, she preached it last January, a year ago. And she said, see what you must. Did she ever preach that message around here? See what you must. See, because until you see what you must, it's never going to come together for you. You need to see what you must. And just the fact that how you received the gift that she is, it's just that now she lives somewhere else. She still is. That means there's, I have a respect for you, and I don't even know you guys, but the very fact of how you received her and the message she brought causes me to respect you and to say, yeah, I celebrate Grandma. She was received mm. for who she was by a group in South Korea. There's a couple of photos there that were from South Korea. Small group. She was received for who she was in Nepal, mostly by people under the age of 30 that became a catalyst. Deborah and I had organized some. Uh, 10-day, uh, I'll call them pastor leader training things in Nepal with Debbie and with another uh, couple pastors in Colorado. And um, we had two, went over there two years in a row. And from those, Debbie recognized the remnant from this bigger group. There was about 40 of them. And she picked two or three. I saw, I saw them on the screen here. I could recognize them. One was Dev. And uh, another one was an old man by the name of uh, Kelly. Kelly is 80-some years old. He was a Buddhist. He personally has planted over 400 churches in Nepal. And he doesn't do it by motorcycle. He walks. Some of his churches take three days to walk to. And he had a church near Gorka. And in fact, uh, one of the guys from our church and myself ministered in his church uh, several years ago outside of Gorka. And what fast forward in that church was a young man named Dev. And they had a conflict. And it was, the, it was the old man versus the young man. The young man had some things he wanted to do. And, you know, and, and the old man was kind of like, well, I'm not sure we want to do this. And it created a divide. They had a conflict. And Dev left that church. And he started his own work, some of which came from that church. And so Dev was sending me pictures, and I said, Dev, what happened? He was very, very evasive for a while. He says, well, you know, Callie wouldn't let this happen, let that happen. But I started my own work. So I told him, I said, you have to go back to Callie and have a reconciliation. You cannot start a new work based upon an offense from an old work. And so he was like, no, 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 I, I can't do that. I can't. And we're doing this by text, you know. We're using WhatsApp to do that. And he says, if you, I said, if you don't, if you don't, the work that you're doing right now will be a failed work. It's starting on the wrong foundation. I said, however, 
He says, well, I don't know anybody that can bring us together. I said, well, there is this little girl that you know. <laughs> she is coming to Nepal soon. And I'm going to ask her to have you and Callie sit down. See, apostles do that, don't they? Here's one emerging young pastor. Here's a much older apostolic pastoral guy, Callie. And they have a problem. And it's not that Callie was so bad. It's just that he had a certain way of doing things. And Deb wanted to sort of jump a little higher. And so I asked Debbie, I said, will you do this? Will you resolve this? And she was like, oh, man. She didn't like those kinds of things. I don't think anybody does. But she did. She organized a gathering down near Chitwan National Park. And a lot of her, uh, her work that she was doing in Nepal was in the southern part of Nepal, a place called Chitwan, and uh, invited both of them down there. And then I saw a text that said, Dev was not going to go. He was not going to, he did not want to face Callie. Excuse me, make sure that, you, that they understand that the young man's name was Dev. Dev, D-E-V. D -E -V. D -E -V. He's not saying Deb. He's saying Dev. Yeah, -E I'm sorry if I wasn't pronouncing yeah. that right. So Dev was, he said, I'm not going to go. And so we're texting back and forth. I said, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. Debbie will take care of it. Debbie will bring you together. You can trust her because they both trusted her. They've both been under her ministry. Sure enough, they spent four hours one afternoon going through all of this stuff that you can probably imagine have been festering for quite a while. And they came out of it, brothers in the Lord, reconciled, and loving each other. So she did that, not because she wanted to, but because that was a, a part of the gifting and the calling on the inside of her. And so that was one of the many things she did in Nepal that ultimately will bear great, great fruit in that nation. She was also received as an apostle at a in a place in England called City Life Church in Portsmouth, England. Our, a prophet friend of ours, who we had introduced to Debbie a number of years ago, introduced Debbie to this uh, leader in, in England, and he was so impressed with her, he asked her to be on his external prophetic advisory. He has one prophetic person from England, and he has Debbie Tran. This is a church of several hundred. It is an apostolic church with a vision to be an apostolic center in England. And Debbie Tran was an advisor to that leadership. And they respected her. They received her for the gift that was there. South Korea. South Korea. I think did I mention South Korea. Not yet how much they received her as who she is. Yes, they did. They were very, very, and there was an older man there by the name of Abraham, who in particular was a father, a grand, I call it a grandfather image to her. And the last place was right here in America. She had pockets. And uh, we received her as an apostle in our church. We have a huge church. It's, um, it's, it's huge. It's huge. It's very, very small, actually. But the people are very, very mighty. The people are very mighty, and we received her. But the epicenter, I believe, of her apostolic effusion into America is right here in Granbury, right here 
in Granbury. It's not in Colorado. It's not in Denver. It was right here. I, I, I have to insert this. I just have to because it's just too rich to pass by. But in Nepal, the first year we took her to Nepal, we're there to teach pastors 10 days, morning till night. And we insert her into the teaching. The first time we do, at our hotel that night, one of those young pastors is there waiting for us. And he is freaked out. I'm telling you, freaked out. And he say, why you do this? Why you do this to us? I said, do what? He said, bring, bring Vietnam. Bring Vietnam. And he said, the Vietnamese, they eat Nepali people. <laughs> Seriously. I, th I looked at him and I said, excuse me? He said, they eat us. They eat us. My father told me. It is true. It is true. They eat Nepali people. And you have brought. It, it was like we brought the fox into the hen house. You know, and he, this is the kind of cultural stuff sometimes that you need to deal with when you travel the world. And truly, we had to minister to that young man to the point so that he could hear anything Debbie said. Because he literally, literally, it's, it's like was raised up believing that the Vietnamese people actually eat Nepali people. And so when Debbie would walk around, you know, and she'd be preaching, if he was in the front row, he'd move three rows back. <laughs> he did, I'm serious, I'm, I'm serious. He would move three, and you're talking about a little 4'10 woman. This guy was about 25 years old and probably about 5'10. He would not get close to her. It took some time, didn't it, to actually sort of clarify that? It's true, but by the end of the of the school, yeah, he then he, by then he trusted her. Yeah, <laughs> but when we told her, she was dumbstruck. Like she didn't even know what to say. Like she's like, eat them, you know, like like cannibals or something. Just like and we said, yeah, that's what he thinks. And she, after being dumbstruck, she just. She lost it in terms of laughing and laughing. You know, she was extremely intense, extremely intense. But when she needed to let off steam, she not only was funny, she could be downright silly, just downright silly. And that just, it, it did it. It got to her on one of those, it hit her funny bone. And it's like, she, she I don't know. I can't say for sure, but it seemed to me like she would go over to where he would sit when she was preaching more than she would go to that side. It just seemed like it, you know. Stirring the pot. Yeah. I feel the spirit is kind of starting to switch things here in a minute. <clears throat> but I want to cover a couple of things. I want to read you something she wrote in 2014. She was writing a little report back to us. It was her first trip to Japan to rally 
the remnant believers in Japan. Japan has never exceeded 1% of the population that is Christian, never once in 400 years. And uh, she was a part of uh, a catalyst of people to rally uh, a people that were tired of being such a small minority. So she went to Japan. It was her first trip there, and it was powerful. Stuff was going on. And she wrote this to us in an email. This was July of 2014. What has been happening here gives me so much hope for my nation and the nations. A nation can be born in one day. What took other nations years of walking and preparing, it only takes one meeting here. Things are moving so fast. There are so many things happening at the same time. Before coming here, I was sleepless and my spirit was stirred. I wrote some notes of the scriptures that the Lord had brought to my spirit. Please, please discern and stand with me. She wrote that in 2014, expressing what she was discerning and perceiving in a nation, a nation of Japan, that she would be a part of this movement that would begin to emerge a remnant mindset in that nation. And the other thing that I want to point out, I want to read that last part of her ordination. Do you want to do that now or later? Right now. Right now? I know we can't cover all that. That's true. It says here she hated communism. That's true. Hallelujah. We are called, actually, to hate evil. Praise God. She finished strong right here in Texas. When we ordained her, the Lord gave us a, a kind of a, a statement, a declaration to read over her, to have her respond to affirmatively, to install her, ordain her, recognize uh, the ministry she was walking in. Ordination is something we do because we recognize God is doing something, not because we just do it because we're men and women who want to put a label on somebody. I'm going to read the last part of this. All of this is scripturally based, but I'm not going to read all the scriptures that support it. As we were ordaining her, we said, Therefore, in the presence of God and of the soon coming King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who will come again riding a white horse, bearing a sword and bringing judgment for the nations, and in the presence of these witnesses, who will pray for you, encourage you, and stand with you, I give you this charge. Retain a good and noble heart that is teachable, correctable, and fruitful for the kingdom. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of your call. Discharge the duties of your ministry. And fight the good fight. Finish your race. Keep the faith. 
For there is in store for you a great reward from the Lord, the crown of righteousness. And on that day, he will welcome you by saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He has welcomed her. He has welcomed her. And she has embraced it. We've talked to you about Debbie the revivalist. We've talked to you about Debbie the apostle. But none of that would be possible if it wouldn't be for Debbie the person. Debbie the person. She lived her life totally for the sake of the kingdom of God. And for the king of that kingdom, That's her right. Lord Jesus. And she, she lived in a way that when I, I sat down to, to try to figure out how do we bring you the rest of Debbie Tran, the impact of her life. When she had her champions gathering, that was 40 pastors. Most of, of everything she did, she did with ministry leaders and pastors all over the world. So every time she would affect a pastor, she would affect his church. So if in her 40 pastors that she gathered, she would gather them once a month and she would facilitate bringing a minister in from the West to teach those pastors. And so say each pastor had 40 people in his church. So 40 pastors, 40 people in each church, that's 1,600 people right there <clears throat> once, yeah. once. She did that for years and years and years. She had a children's ministry that ministered to children all through the nation of Vietnam. 21 different nations did she do this. Right. Even just when we figured out everywhere she went with us, I'm telling you, the impact of her life cannot be measured this side of heaven. She touched thousands, thousands of people all over the world for the kingdom of God. All because she responded to the Holy Spirit. And she lived her life According to the scripture in Revelation, yes. chapter 12, verse 11, I think it is, says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Yes. You know, in her boldness, she lived 
in a way that did not protect her life. She never did anything that would protect her life. While she was living like that, she was living according to Philippians 1.21 that says, for me to live is Christ. See, there it is, right there. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hallelujah. 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 And so as we're Switching gears here with the Holy Spirit. I just would say to you, of those thousands of people that she impacted, you're one of them. Every single one of you sitting here. Or else you wouldn't be here. There's plenty of other places you could be on a Friday night. And so, if she impacted you, unto what? Unto what? That is, I guess, I know her. I know her passion. I know her heart. And so she came, she brought you the message, she demonstrated the message, she made sure that you fell in love with Holy Spirit and could hear his voice. And then when you began to feel like you wanted to respond to that, she was willing to lay hands on you, commission you. So now what? If Debbie's not here, now what? I say to you, who called you? Did Debbie? No. She just stirred the pot. Who commissioned you? Was it Debbie? No. It was Debbie's hand, but it was the Holy Spirit. So now, she finished her race. She lived largely. She lived well. And if we would come here from Colorado to talk to you and not say, okay, the glory is here, what are you going to do with it? If we didn't do that, I think she'd probably disown us. I think so. Yes. Would our worship leaders come up and 
what I'd like you to do is to do whatever the Spirit leads you to do. It can be a song that's prepared or just flow in the Spirit and prophesy. I feel like to wrap this up with worship, and then I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to make some declarations to which, if you agree, you would, by the Spirit, agree with these so that this is not the end, but it's the new beginning. It's the eighth day, the new beginning for Granberry. And so I feel like the Spirit wants to do something there. We talked about, you know, laying hands on you and things like that, but I feel like what we're really looking for is the agreement in one accord that you're facing the same direction to carry the torch of the Spirit, not of Debbie Tran, but to carry the torch of the Holy Spirit of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is expanded from the outer edges, not the middle. You get the power from the middle, but the outer edges is where the kingdom is expanded. You'll be on the edge. Are you hearing me? You'll be edgy. But that is what you've called you to do. Not to be another Debbie Tran. You have your own gifts, your own callings, but you will be on the edge, the leading edge of the kingdom. Lead us however the Spirit chooses. Thank you. Oh, soul, my soul, are you wearied and troubled? No night so dark that our eyes cannot see. There's a light so bright as we look to our Savior. Life so abundant and free. Life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God, our God, you are with us in darkness. Your word, your light is leading us on. Oh God, our God, Jesus, for life more abundant and free. There's life more abundant and free as we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Then the
declarations they're declarations of what you will do and why you do it and so this is just coming to me now I, I haven't got it all in the back of my head but it's just coming to me right now so if you agree with that <clears throat> what you, do, you just put your hand up as a place of agreement as I'm making these declarations I choose to move forward as a new day. I choose to walk in what I am called to walk in. I choose to receive the fullness of my commissioning. I choose to move forward into what I've commissioned into. I choose to move forward into what I'm commissioned into. And I do this by the Spirit of the Lord. And I do this by the Spirit of the Lord. For the Lord God. For the advancement of His kingdom. For the advancement of His kingdom. For the alignment of this nation. For the alignment of this nation unto his glory. Unto his glory. So we choose to walk in one accord. So we choose to walk in one accord. Facing in the same direction. Facing in the same direction. The alignment of America. The alignment of America. As a sheep nation. As a sheep nation. So I agree. So I agree with the word of God with the word of God that I am a sent one that I am a sent one an ambassador for his kingdom an ambassador for his kingdom and I am a king and I am a priest and I'm a king and I'm a priest I am a part of the royal priesthood I'm a part of the royal priesthood now this is what the Holy Spirit wants me to say to you When Ezekiel was called to be a prophet, the Spirit of God said to him 90 times, Son of man! Daughter of man! Listen to what I'm about to say. For you are called to a stubborn, 
and obstinate people. But I will make you harder, more stubborn for the kingdom than the opposition. When the Lord spoke to Ezekiel and said, Son of man, it was a heightening of the prophetic awareness of the assignment, the challenge, and the difficulty. He is not sending you to an easy street, folks. He's sending you to hard places. He's sending you to places you shall be prepared for, and even now you are being prepared for, says the Lord. But you will arise, you will shine. You will move forward, you will not draw back. You will not draw back. You will not draw back. He says, son of man, daughter of man, There is a time to bow, but now is the time to stand. Now is the time to stand. And he said to Ezekiel, I want to talk to you face to face. Ezekiel wanted to bow down. That was the place of humility. The Spirit of God grabbed him by the hair and said, stand up. Son of man, I want to speak to you. We live in a dispensation, a time of standing. There is always a time to bow in humbleness toward the Lord's, but he wants a remnant that will arise and stand and then move forward as a mighty army. So there is a decree and a declaration going out in this city as an epicenter, as a supercell, like a, like a tornado. It is a supercell, and it will move here, and it will move there. But the Lord says, listen to me, follow me. I will speak to you face to face, and you will overcome every opposition. You will overcome every challenge. And the word of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb will be the overcoming power. Because I have called you for such a time as this. For such a time as this. The alignment of the nations. Let it be said about Granbury and the remnant that is arising here today, that is arising here this year, that is arising now in this season that we will not draw back. We will not be intimidated. We have passed through the season of the lion and the bear. We are taking on Goliath and we shall emerge into the kingship and the dominion and the, and the power of the Most High God because we are the royal priesthood. We are the ones that are called to have dominion in the spirit, by the spirit, unto the alignment of this nation. Wasn't that great? Hallelujah. Thank you guys so much for 
bring in that insight. Hallelujah. <laughs> Deborah just said that she could talk for weeks about Debbie Tran. There's no doubt. When we heard that um, Debbie was going to face the battle that she faced, um, Marietta and I got together and, and we talked about it for a long time. And I told Marietta right then, I said, whatever happens, we have to finish well. We have to finish well. And I think that that's really the call that we just heard from this platform is that each and every one of us, as that remnant that Debbie called us to be, now we go out with what God has given us, with what God has equipped us with. Let's go out and let's finish well. Bless you all, and thanks for coming. Amen.